So we spend a lot of time preparing for pregnancy. We plan for pregnancy, we plan for labor, we plan our baby's nurseries, and then we forget at the end of the day that we're gonna become parents and we're gonna be postpartum. It isn't something that you should just wait. It's more than just bleeding, it's more than just feeding your baby. It's a full head to toe thing, it's an experience, it is life altering. You are leaving your old world, your old self, and you're becoming somebody's parent. And you're doing that maybe with your partner, maybe with your family. I mean, it's huge. And we just don't put a lot of emphasis into it. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Selfie Show, where we are bringing you the weekly dose of sweet and salty. I am Tori, the founder and now co-host of The Selfie Show. I am a nurse, blogger, podcaster, and sitting across from me is my very scatterbrained (laughs) co-host scatterbrained and salty i am sam i am a flight nurse professor podcaster powerlifter and co-host of the selfie show and today we're talking off the clock about postpartum everything yeah you guys this is a really good one we've had a lot of requests for postpartum support and understanding more about postpartum and we wanted to bring on some experts for you so today is going to be amazing for all of you anyone who's pregnant going to be pregnant if you've been pregnant I just think this is an all-around great episode yes providers and patients alike and hot tips for partners Ooh, spicy a lot of good ones so we are going to get into some single girl married girl life (laughs) tips question of the week and we're doing this for like the second time because my (laughs) dementia brain and Dory life like scatterbrain is an understatement because we just recorded this and I didn't record the audio because I am just <laughs> living the dream so you guys when I always say have grace on yourself yeah. and don't be too hard we've had I'm a gonna, long day I'm going to take my own advice and yeah. not pound my head into a wall <laughs> for recording this whole thing without you. actually recording it and thankfully that's why you have a good understanding co-host and the fact that Tori didn't punch me in the face for that shows that she is a treasure yeah well I was gonna put I was I was on a kick this week though yeah so yeah. Tori has been the spiciest version of Tori that I have seen in a hot minute and usually I'm the spicy one so I am so here for this so yeah take it away my friend yeah so I've hopped off with some unpopular opinions this week so we'll just go with an unpopular uh, Mary Girl life tip of the week this week you guys um so my tip being I think it's really important to take care of your appearance okay unpopular mm-hmm. opinion indeed I know especially so let me this, hear why like, well okay yeah and I get it. we're in this super feminist movement where you know you own your body and you can do whatever you want blah 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 okay that's great but I think in a partnership it really is important to take care of yourself mm-hmm. for your partner I think mm-hmm. it's a, I think it is important I just you know I just think about roles reversed if Jacob was not taking care of himself you know it's just I just think it's a level of respect for your yourself and for your partner. Now, I know there are obviously situations like, look, I I understand mental health. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that affects your how you present yourself. I understand that. There are certain situations like, of course, you know, when you go through pregnancy, your body changes, all these things. That's not what I'm talking about. I am just talking about basics here. Like, just put it together for your person. You know, I think it's important to be there for your partner and I want my husband to look at me, you know, when I'm having like a hot girl summer at 60, okay? And be like, boner alert. Yeah. And, you know, that can come in many different shapes and sizes. Don't care about that. But I still want him to look at me and like, you know, I want to put it together for him. 
I would say unpopular opinion. When I first hear you say that, the feminist in me wants to be like, fuck you. No one can tell me how to look or what to wear or how to dress up or not. But then as someone who's been in a relationship, who's experienced weight gain, weight loss, experienced all these different highs and lows of body image, depression, eating disorders, all that good old stuff that's made me who I am today, (laughs) I have a level of respect for what you're saying because I think when you're in a partnership, it really is a partnership and you have to take care of yourself to be the best version of you to be the best partner that you can be. It's the whole, you've said it before, you have to put your own oxygen mask on first before you start helping others on the airplane. Right. So I, I respect that in that sense because look good, feel good. And I know for me personally, like today I wore real clothes, which I like hardly ever get dressed up in real clothes. In the best mom jeans I've ever Tori bullied me into buying mom jeans. When her and Ari filmed the episode that day, they (laughs) ganged up on me and were like, listen, skinny jeans. Just do it. They look so good, you guys. I like literally she put them on mm-hmm. and I was like, still, Oh my god, your ass looks so good. I don't know how I feel about it still, but I'm 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 feeling it so they far. Look good. The the gram seems to support it. You guys, she put it together and I'm like, girl, mmm. But I feel like so lately, like last week I got my nails done, my eyebrows threaded. I honestly I waxed my chin too. I don't even know. Like I always wax my mustache <laughs> when I get my nails done. Low key real talk. But then I was like <laughs> seeing all this facial fuzz, so I was like, wax my chin. I like got a Brazilian. I did my hair and makeup today. I'm like, shit, bitch, I look good. And then I feel good. And I feel like I have a better attitude and better energy when I feel good about myself. And I think that, no, I I can respect it. I can respect that unpopular Well, and I don't think I'm the most feminist. I I think I'm like a middle grade. It's like weird because I'm feminist in my actions, but I'm very anti-feminist. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but I I do think it's important. Yeah, and, and I, I like it. Yeah, I like your energy. Yeah, I think it's important, and no matter who you are, a partner, it's a whoever, whoever your partner is. I just think that it's important to put it. Together. And if anyone's hating on Tori for that perspective, I will give Tori credit right now for first and foremost, she has always said the thing that attracted. I mean, obviously Jake's a good-looking guy. You've all scoped him on her <laughs> right. gram, but she has always said first and foremost the thing that like drew me to him was his wit and his intelligence. Mm-hmm. And she said multiple times, "Looks fade," but at the end of the day, those are the things that I have so if anyone's got a problem with their unpopular opinion I'm gonna back her up in the sense that she's always said like more the foundation of your relationship isn't built on that but yeah, yeah I can see where that does factor in well there's gonna things. be different phases look I yeah. mean eventually hopefully if we have kids one day fabulous I'm gonna be um living my best life you know at least uh you know gaining some extra pounds and I hope my husband loves me for that but look it's like I that's not the point I'm not it's just more yeah. the idea mm-hmm. of caring enough about your partner to do that for yourself too care about yourself for to yeah. care for others yeah so I'm gonna just then do an unpopular opinion okay listen bitches don't settle Oh, so I'm so tired of like in the last few weeks, I've been having a lot of conversations with people lately about relationships. I've been really trying to pick like guys brains as well. My male friends, even some people that I've kind of like dated, but it never really went anywhere. But we're like, cool. I'm like, yo, I want to like just kind of get your perspective on single women, especially at my age. I think being single is a different ballgame than being single at 25. Being single at 35 is a whole different uh, perspective. And I keep 
hearing multiple times that I need to lower my standards. Okay. <laughs> Dory's face. <Less. laughs> or that I am too picky. I need to like give up one of the things. Like I can't expect a certain level of physical attraction if I also want a certain level of intelligence and career and ambition and yada yada. Or if I want those things, then maybe like – or. If like you can't have no, it all. I refuse to believe that. If that was the case, <laughs> then I will just buy myself a, a vibrator and watch me some Netflix and, and chill. Girl. Thank you. Like no, <laughs> I refuse. No, Sign me I don't up. need that shit. So no. you mean just my normal everyday yeah, like, life why right now? <laughs> like you don't need to settle. Like I got all the solutions for that shit exterior. Thank you. No. <laughs> I love you. So I, that's just like, listen, if I wanted to settle, I'd be fucking married right now. Not yeah. saying that any of you that married did settle. It would have been years because ago. Because Tori did not settle. Jacob is a catch. But I, I could if I wanted to, but I don't. And I'm going to hold out in the hopes that that unicorn is there. Because I think they are. I don't I don't think they're just, you know, rampant, running rampant in Southern <laughs> California. Because I sure didn't say I'm on hinge. But... I'm yeah. going to stick to my standards because why the fuck not? Because I think I'm a catch and I don't think someone's settling to be with me. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> so why should I have to settle? If you're getting with me, you definitely didn't settle. You leveled up. So I want the same. And that's on confidence. Yes, I love that for you. Question of the weeks are fun. But honestly, I just want to nix that this week. And I want to give the mic to Victoria Meskin and say, <laughs> keep it going with your unpopular opinions yeah. because you've been spicy and I want you to speak on it. <laughs> I love you. Let, yes. let it rip, girl. Yeah, this last week, you guys, I don't know if you caught it on Instagram, I did pop off um, and with a, an unpopular opinion, I happen to think, and that is to scale up. Uh, yes, for a minute, I lost my chill with a new hire. I'm not even going to lie about that. Um... But the reason behind it, and I kind of want to explain a little bit about it, is it wasn't because someone um, wasn't trying or like didn't get something or whatever. It, it purely had to do with an attitude and um, a lack of emotional intelligence to read a room. Just had a situation where I thought I had an opportunity for someone to learn from something. I wasn't precepting them directly, but I was offering an opportunity. And um, I that met on deaf ears and deaf emotional intelligence. This person was not reading the room. They were not understanding the flow of the unit. They were not being attentive or focused. And it was really driving that. That was probably one of the few times I've ever really had like felt the need to just kind of pop off. Um, and what does that mean? I just sort of like mentally went to like curse words and then just, I, I just gave up. I was like, I can't help this person. But um, I think the, the main point of this is when you choose to work or you opt to work in a high stress environment, a high stress setting, please take it to heart and scale up. No one is going to handhold you through your career. And I know that's an unpopular opinion, but you guys, we've talked about this here before. Sam and I have said this, like, think like an athlete. You need to scale up when you are running, when you are working with life and death minute by minute everything that you do matters for that patient in life and death situations like you have to scale up and no one's going to hold you through your hand through your career sorry it's not like what I wanted this person to do 
was, and I didn't have time to really slow down and tell her, but I wanted her to step in and say, okay, what are you doing? I was, you know, getting labs, going to get this, supplies, um, starting IVs, we're doing lab draws, we're doing all these things, like trying to order products. Like there was just so many things going on. And no, I didn't really have a minute to tell her to do X, Y, and Z, but I was trying to offer her a opportunity to come watch, learn, follow me, like see what I'm doing. And it's just she just like didn't care you wanted her to show interest yes you wanted you can't make someone care you, you can't can. care more than that person no i you cannot teach someone motivation self-motivation you cannot teach them to want to be there or to show interest like that's something that comes from you that is you and your internal emotional intelligence to also read the room this person also was chatting it up with a coworker right in front of a parent while we're trying to admit the, this child it just was really frustrating for me and i just in the moment it would have been unprofessional for me to basically try and correct her and say get your ass over here and start like actually focusing on what your job would be which is what i wanted to do but i just you know i think it's just when you come onto a unit as a new grad or even a new hire with with um, experience, just have enough sense to come in and just really read the room. Like, what's going on? Where should I be? Who should I be following? You know, how can I help? What can I do? What can I learn? That's what we want. I, you don't have to know everything. That's not the point. I want you to want to learn the things mm-hmm. and not correct me or try and tell me that this is the way I've done it. Or da, 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 da. Like, look, I'm teaching you this way, so this is how we do it here. Can I also emphasize the fact that this is not eating your young? Thank you. And this is not bullying. God, if I hear that. Because <sighs> this is I think is a lot you. of us nurses are sick of hearing that, by the way. <laughs> well, and we're going to do a whole episode on that. So yeah, let me okay. say, first and foremost, it exists. Yes. There are situations of nurses eating their young. And there's absolutely situations of bullying and what do they call that shit? Like vertical yeah, violence, violence or some I don't shit. know, whatever. I don't know. I've done no. enough HR modules. But that exists in healthcare and that exists in nursing. What Tori is describing is not that. That is you wanting someone to show initiative yeah. and to care. Yeah. And unpopular opinion, not all learning is fun. Thank you. Not Just, all work is fun. Not it's all work, work is fun. It's there work. were times where I was training for transport and I had to cross train and pick you. And sometimes they were showing me stuff that I didn't give a shit about. Right. But yeah. guess what? The only person who knew that was me. Yeah. You internalize it. You Because I needed to act eager, even if it was something that didn't really apply to what I was going to be doing on transport. You know why? Because attitude matters yes. to everyone around you. Yes. 100%. And so just because... It's not something you're maybe interested in. Oh, well. Yeah. You're there to learn. Yeah. Buckle up. Please take this to heart. Like, I I know uh, what I want from my coworkers is to look to the person next to me and be like, this is someone that I can trust that will step up when we when shit hits the fan. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is when you choose to work in these high stress environments, you need to step up and be okay. And that's just that's part of the that's part of the job yeah and also i don't believe in hand-holding i think everyone needs to seek out your experiences you need to take initiative i'm just a big believer in that be your own self-motivated person yeah done boom (laughs) love a spicy tory moment all right
All right, you guys. So we are really excited about the guests of the show this week. Today, we are getting into it with Courtney and Katie. They are a doctor and certified nurse midwife duo. They use evidence-based, empowering, and inclusive education to help parents thrive after birth. They're also co-hosts of their own podcast called The Push Revolution, and they are helping lead a revolution to support the postpartum period. So PUSH actually stands for, they're clever, I let me tell so you. <laughs> PUSH stands for Postpartum Understanding Support and Health. They combine their unique skills. They are truly a dynamic duo to give parents education, options, and support to help them make the right decisions for themselves and their families throughout the postpartum period. And we get a lot of spicy tips for all of the partners out there this week. We get a lot of really good tips today. Postpartum sex? Yes. Okay. We're going to do some good stuff today, you guys. Yeah. Not only that, you guys, we're going to be talking about filling the gaps left in modern day medicine. We're going to be talking about those taboo topics, getting into the real complex postpartum time. This is just a good one today, you guys. We are so excited. So without further ado, let's dive into the show. You guys are well on your way for an amazing revolution, one that we're both very passionate about. So, and I think this isn't a really astounding thing that you guys brought up. It was actually a post that you did on Instagram where there is just one visit to a provider six weeks after delivery. Can you speak to this? This just boggles my mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's terrible. So during, this is Katie, um, during pregnancy, you know, we see people all the time. We see them every month. And then at the end of pregnancy, we start seeing them every two weeks. And then all of a sudden they're coming on weekly visits. And sometimes people, even if they have other things going on, they're coming in twice a week um, or more for visits. And they're so we're laying eyes on them. They're seeing us, they're asking questions, and then they have their baby and they're given this very, very brief discharge education of like, You can have this. You can have this. If you have this, call your provider. And then they make a six-week visit. And during that six weeks time, there's a lot that happens. If you are establishing lactation, um, you have to figure out how to feed your baby. And it's not something that people know how to do, even though people have breasts that, you know, are producing milk. That doesn't mean that you know how to feed your baby. Mm -hmm. And so getting that is, it's practice. It's a skill that you have to learn. Yeah, I think a lot of people have this misconception that just because you are able to birth that you know what to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's a societal failure because we used to have colonies and communities and, you know, a whole, you know, whatever, a whole stampede of people Yeah, yes. would take care of your baby. And now it's like, all right, here you go. I don't know. Do you have help? Maybe. Eh, okay, figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Like- <laughs> or they assume that your partner is going to be, you know, yeah. they're going to be the the all-knowing person as well. So the two of you can figure it out. And and that's for the majority of the case, just not really yeah. what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, my sister-in-law had a baby on Friday and my brother went back to work on Monday. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. so, yeah wow. It's terrible. I mean, how do, how can you expect to take care of a brand new baby who comes without a manual <laughs> and to figure out the postpartum period also again with manual? Yeah. And with little support, lack of support, it's very, it's very, very frustrating. And so as providers, Courtney and I see people at six-week visits and they, they look very shell-shocked. They look like they have just gone through something and they're on the other side of it and they're like, I don't know what just happened. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And a lot of times people think, well, I can't call them because I have this visit in six weeks. So yeah, I'll talk about I, it in six weeks. Yeah. But let's say like, well, I struggled really hard. I almost killed myself. Oh yeah. Great. But I'm yeah. okay today. <laughs> the yeah. amount of times we've heard that we actually had a good friend that went through that. We also had a good friend who had postclampsia, which I didn't even know was a thing. Had yeah. No she'd already been back home for a couple days then ended up back in the ICU. And then she was kind of like uh-huh. separated because you know, her and baby had both already been discharged and then she was back in for her blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And so, so much can happen like in those six weeks, like you said. Yeah. Just because the baby comes out and it's healthy doesn't mean your struggle is over. Right. So Courtney and I talk, we talk a lot about, you know, this isn't your medical provider's shortcomings. This is a shortcoming in our country where we really don't put a lot of emphasis on postpartum care. Um, and, and it comes down to money. There is no money in, in postpartum visits. Yep. And, and so insurance companies are not willing to increase the number of visits that people can have. Yeah. Most insurances here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's package. So you have 10 visits and a postpartum visit for your pregnancy. And if you do anything above and beyond that, you will get charged out of pocket sometimes or out of your birth, oh um, package. Yeah. And, or the provider will not be compensated. And so there's a, you know, it's hard for very busy practices to say, have every single person come in five times postpartum and not get paid for any of those visits, you know? So it's a systematic issue as well. Like we want to provide good care, but sometimes it's, you know, unfortunately that's the way the world works. Yeah. I think Um, it's even systematic in the sense that we, our maternity leave too is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Atrocious in this country. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah, it's a joke. Like, yeah, they'll give you six weeks of short-term disability, they call it, right? And then they say, okay, by then you're healed. You can go back to work. Well, what have you figured out in that six weeks? Probably you've learned how to take care of yourself. You've learned what your needs are. Have you figured out feeding? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's hard. Are you getting the sleep schedule down? That can be very frustrating. And then to be like, great, I'm going back to work. Mm-hmm. that's really hard at well, even weeks. puppies stay with their moms longer right. than six mm-hmm. weeks like that's you don't true. if you buy a puppy you don't even take them home until like what 10 weeks 12 weeks or something like yeah. it's absurd that we're gonna separate a yeah. mom and a baby when we don't even do that with animals mm-hmm. <laughs> i know yeah. yeah we did a post on that with uh aoc she tweeted that a few years ago and it was like our most popular post mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it's so true yeah. but it's funny as well because there's the other people in society that say that like are usually penis owners mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I, I like to call men right now owners of a penis yeah they're like well my wife did fine okay so yeah you're like, like did she no, though it's not. yeah oh. not good we can do better we should do better. yeah because we survived yeah. doesn't mean we thrived and yeah. thank you yes mm-hmm. can we get that on a shirt yeah <laughs> we're gonna copyright that um okay so we actually want to go back and because we want to learn about both of you and your journeys we're really really fascinated by where people started so can each of you introduce yourselves um to the guests we're really excited to hear about your backgrounds sure well this is katie i am a certified nurse midwife and women's health nurse practitioner um which basically means that i'm a huge nerd when it comes to Mm maternity care and the babies and the laboring and all of the things. Um, I am married and I have four kids of my own. They are various ages. 18 is the oldest. Turning five is 
the youngest. So I've got kind of a whole wide variety of them. Um, I always joke that I am, I've been chronically postpartum because I've been doing this for a million years. I don't (laughs) sleep um, from my job and from my kids. So I'm always trying to find out all the sleep tips. Um, I became very passionate about uh, uh, about pregnancy, labor, birth, postpartum. After having my first baby, I had, um, I was 19 when I got married and pregnant and 20 when I had her and I had zero support from my partner at the time, um, from my provider. I developed some pretty significant mood disorders. And so that led me to this journey where I am as a provider. Um, and then really, after becoming a brand new baby midwife, um, finding out that there really isn't a lot of good resources out there for people. Courtney and I connected at this time, um, and that's how we got pushed started, but I'll let her introduce herself first. This is Courtney. (laughs) Um, I, you know, basically knew I wanted to be a doctor from the time I was like three years old and, you know, at the scholastic book fairs, everybody was like getting (laughs) goosebumps. And I was like, can I get the anatomy book? (laughs) 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 Um, So I pretty much just went down that rabbit hole from birth. (laughs) And um, I, my mom's birth was, or my birth from my mother was actually videotaped. And I loved watching that as like, I want to see this. That's like a VHS tape, right? (laughs) Oh, it is. Absolutely. It's like the the huge recorder. Did your dad record it? No, my aunt actually. Oh my god! Oh, I love that. They were like ahead of the curve. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I never actually knew I wanted to OBGYN until I got into college and I loved embryology, but I still wanted to be a dermatopathologist because they make lots of money. And I liked working with um, microscopes. <laughs> it's like insane how much money they make. Um, and I was like, oh, I could do that. No problem. And then I got into medical school and I was like, I cannot do that. That is boring as hell. Um, <laughs> the reality so, set in. <laughs> exactly. And then, so I went the complete other direction into the most stressful situation, which is maternity and, you know, OBGYN. I think, you know, out of everything in OBGYN, I like birth the most it's the most um, demanding I think and the most mentally exhausting because you are every decision that you're making is two lives and if you make the wrong one that could have a disastrous effect Um, but it's the most rewarding as well and 99% of the time everything is amazing and I very rarely have to deliver bad news so I liked that I also love surgery Um, so I get to do kind of all the things with OBGYN I get to do clinic surgery and births so I am also married uh, to a wonderful human who I hope that he's going to be the best postpartum partner. Oh, he is. <laughs> yeah. He, I don't know I what I did so. to deserve him, but uh, here we are. <laughs> God, we sound similar. That's how I feel about Jake. I'm like, one day you'll be a great, hopefully, postpartum partner. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, so he's already have... a great partner to you right now, and you're a little difficult. I know. So well, say, so. and technically <laughs> has to deal with Sam. We're a thruple now, yeah. so he's, he's oh, got his, his hands full right now. But oh, That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then hoping to probably get pregnant this year. So, um, but I also, you know, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I don't know. Putting the energy out there, right? Yeah. Uh, Manifested. But yeah, Katie and I kind of at the same time became passionate about the lack of care of postpartum in our society. And even in residency and med school, like literally nothing is told to us. Like we basically are told Tell them not to pick up anything heavier than the baby and don't have sex for six weeks. Nothing in the vagina. Yeah, nothing yeah. in the vagina. Or rectum. Or rectum. <laughs> yeah, that's when we Those are very add. close to each other, so that yes, makes sense. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of decided that we were going to tackle this hopefully together. And um, 
we have a podcast now, the Push Revolution podcast. Our company is called The Push Revolution. So PUSH stands for Postpartum Understanding, Support, and Health. And our Instagram is postpartum.push. So we have a few different names. All in all, it's just you know, postpartum understanding, support, like whatever that means. I love and push. It's me very too. on brand though. It's cute. <laughs> yeah. I really like yeah, it. Yeah. So where did you two meet? Uh, at work actually. Okay. So yeah. Same as Tori and I <laughs> yeah, were yeah. lightning rods. Yes. Yeah. We were yeah. lightning rods for disaster when we first started. It Ooh, was like if, the cloud. if things were going to go bad, it was the two of us working together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's always the cloud. Right? We, we yeah. feel that. <laughs> Yeah, Sam and I had many a night together where we're like, "Oh my god!" Like I was literally feeding her Snickers out of a out of a. She literally couldn't leave the bedside, and I was literally feeding you because yeah, you wasn't couldn't even step like away an ISO room. I just like my kid was so sick. sick. One it was to so one. bad. We've been like bonded ever since, so that's yeah. pretty cool. Okay, so selfishly, I really want to know this. Um, what is a day in the life for both of you? Like, I, I really like the workflows. Um, well, OBJs, um, some practices have shifts and some pa- practices have like you do everything all together. So uh, my practice is everything all together. So I work four days a week in the clinic. I work at two different clinics. I work in a hospital setting and then I work in a birth center as well. Um, I don't do births at the birth center, but I see OBJN, et cetera, patients there. Um, and then if I'm at the hospital, if any of my patients are there for delivery, then I will you know, stop my clinic and go deliver them. And um, likewise, if other people in my practice have to go do a delivery, then I may take over their clinic as well. Um, and then throughout the day or prior to clinic or during lunch, um, don't often get lunch that often. Uh, we, feel that. <laughs> we do surgeries. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the times we do surgeries. Um, and then I'm on call usually one night a week. And then the day after I'm off, thank God. Um, I am not a high functioning person when I don't get like 12 (laughs) hours of sleep. (laughs) So a lot of my partners are like, Oh, I can go for days. I'm like, Oh, no. Your drugs because no, no. I don't have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we do like a little myth busting with just the schedule of an OBGYN? So if you're not on call and one of your patients ends up coming in for like an emergency C-section or delivery or something and you're not on call, is it someone else from your practice that would then over. take over? Yes. Or Okay. Yeah. So I feel like there's call. a lot of like misconceptions about how oh, that structure yeah, actually yeah, yeah. works. And uh, since I've never had a child, I kind of don't even know myself. Yeah. 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 And I try to say that at every new OB appointment that we are a shared practice and we all take call. And, you know, it's a selfish thing and a safety thing because no human deserves or should be expected to be at everybody's beck and call 24 seven, right? That cannot happen. And, you know, that's not the role of a doctor. The role of a doctor is to be there when they're supposed to be and be awake and safe. And being awake and safe is not what I am in the middle of the night when I have been up the whole next night prior. (laughs) And so we take turns being awake and safe. And that's how every, I mean, I could say 99% of OB practices are these days. Long gone are the days where you were one provider and you were on call 24 seven. And thank God for that. Because that's crazy. You know, 100%. You're like, if you, if patients think about it themselves, you know, they would not accept that schedule. So how mm-hmm. can they expect us to, you Well, know? it's interesting because Courtney and I talked to a home, a previous home birth midwife, and she had that lifestyle yeah. of oh. being the sole provider. And, you know, you could only take so many clients in a month because you didn't want to have that burnout and it would happen of, yeah. of her being on 
going home from a birth only to be paged back to another birth and it's but also and like how are you expected to be allowed to go on vacation or yeah. even yeah. Like, yeah. have a life or just yeah. like go home and sleep like because yeah. when we're on call like we may quote unquote sleep but it's like you sleep for an <laughs> it's hour it's not real sleep <laughs> i was on call last yeah. night and like very fragmented yeah you know the pager goes off all the time and and nurses are calling and you know what can we do about this and yeah. yeah, patients are calling, nurses are calling, the ER is calling, you know, and the OBGYN, at least in my situation, takes care of the entire hospital. So I am one human for labor and delivery, for gyne patients, for ER, for anything. And so, you know, you may not have any labors, but you may be doing ectopic pregnancy surgery in the middle of the night, you know? So that's how most practices are, but some practices do have like clinics shift and then they have labor and delivery shift. Um, but in general, most practices have like between three and 10 providers we all share, mm-hmm. um, which is much safer. And even though mm-hmm. I do understand that you get attached to one provider, you do not want that provider to be, you know, not safe delivering your baby. <laughs> so we try our hardest. We definitely do. If I have an induction, I try to schedule it when I'm on, of course. Um, and if I'm there, of course, I'm going to do everything I can to be at your birth, but there also has to be some boundaries. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then Katie, what about the midwife as far as like your workflow and like, how does that look like with the team and like an OBGYN? Like, and yeah, can you even just go into more of the role of the midwife? Yeah. For, like, people that don't yeah. like, know so, the scope and everything. <laughs> one of my favorite things is that people are always surprised that a midwife and an OBGYN can have a a business together and be friends like there's this misconception that it's you know we are supposed to be butting heads and I think Courtney and I only butt heads over like what kind of pizza should we have (laughs) type of deal same with Tori and I (laughs) not even that we both like pepperoni we do (laughs) we're pretty we're pretty much the same um yeah so I actually um I just started a new position um but I had worked as a midwife at a, a birth center and so that is very different than the type of of care that I'm providing now. So I'll talk about both of those because I think they're very important. So as a birth center midwife, I would take 24-hour call. Um, We do what's called first call. So I'd be the primary midwife and then I'd have shifts of being backup calls. So if if the primary midwife needed me, I would come in for things. We would take care of people during during pregnancy. So we'd see them for clinic visits. We would take care of them during labor during their birth, in the postpartum period, and then we would see them several times throughout their postpartum period. Um, and then we'd have people come back for, you know, problem visits, lactation issues, bleeding problems, you know, infections, all those type of things. And then we'd see them for annual visits as well. That was a very hard, rewarding job for me, but hard on my schedule because like I said before, I have four kids. Um, I was constantly on call away from my family. My pager would go off. My kids would just lose their shit. And so I was not contributing much to society by constantly being on call. And so I got a new job where I am um, providing care now in a hospital with a larger practice. And it's still so much fun. I'm still having a blast. I'm doing, you know, basically the same thing of doing clinic, um, doing call in the hospital, doing triage. But I'm not on call six mm-hmm. out of seven days. That's and I the can, way to live life. <laughs> that is I can a, yeah. leave my work at work, which is really, really yeah. nice. It's um, a dream. Yeah. yeah. It really is. <laughs> okay, so before we get into the postpartum section, I'm really curious about this. I think Sam and I, because we're NICU nurses, right? Like this is, we're used to the 1% of the things that go wrong. But I'm curious your thoughts on home birth. I wanted to ask too. I'm so <laughs> glad you did. And also birth centers. Because, okay, obviously, like, 
all natural like everyone wants to go all natural that's kind of the thing the quote unquote granola mom don't come at me people um and I you know while we want to support it I am really curious from a provider standpoint like how you guys view it or you're like when you're recommending to patients like what are you say what you what you say and that kind of thing Okay. This one, this is I, my training was very, um, in hospital, very safe parameters. Um, and so to have my first job being an out of, out of hospital birth center where we're not connected to the hospital, we were like 10 to 15 minute drive away from the nearest hospital. Um, it was really, it was, it was scary for me to to give up that control, uh, but it was necessary. And so I can tell you 100% that that they are safe if you are trained properly, right? So you have you have providers that know what they're doing, um, not just somebody off the streets that's like, I can catch a baby, because birth is um, birth is tricky. Birth isn't something that we should put blind faith in. We should know how to manage it. We should know how to look for things and to prevent them from going wrong, right? Like we can't just sit back and and observe and be like, I think everything's going okay. So you have to be a a very active participant to have a safe out of hospital birth. And, you know, to try to go to the hospital when things do go bad and go quickly. My husband is also a nurse. He's been doing ER and ICU. And he was one of the nurses that we we would see when we would transfer to the hospital for things. And um, oh my gosh, she was like our biggest advocate for out of hospital births. And, and, you know, you'd, you'd call 911 because we've got something going on and we are transferring safely. We're going before things really hit the fan. And of course, you know, you roll up to the hospital and the nurses and the providers are like, what the fuck? Why are they coming? This is so mm-hmm. safe, unsafe. Why are people having out of hospital births when, why would they want to put their baby at risk? Why would they want to put themselves at risk? And he would always just be like, you know, these, these providers know what they're doing. They're trained. They can provide safe care. If things go sideways, they can take care of babies. They do NRP. They're providing these things. And you're only seeing that 1%. You're not seeing when things are going bad, Mm -hmm. you know, when things are going normal, right. You get to see all the bad things. And so that's um, where we have our like completely warped mindset. Like I'm actually terrified of ever being pregnant because (laughs) trauma. The thing is, is like, you're not going to see those things, right? You're going to only see the bad things. And that is so good. It is so good that that provider has made the call to say, this is no longer safe and I need to transfer you to another place. Um, and one of the things that that's really good is putting boundaries on what is safe and appropriate to have an out-of-hospital birth. You're not going to say, cool, you're having multiples and they're both in the breach position. Let's do that at home. <laughs> like, let's... Right. Yeah. I mean, there, in order to have a safe out of hospital birth, there are parameters and there's policies and that goes to like a statewide level. It isn't just like this provider gets to make that call and say, well, I'm going to take on somebody who's had seven C-sections and do a a trial of labor at home. Like, no. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that unfortunately does happen. And that's sometimes when you see the catastrophic events, because There is this thought that like, as long as you're saying it's bad, but they say it's okay, then we're good. But you, I, we feel that you also have the, you know, um, duty as a provider to first and foremost, do no harm. And that is doing harm. Mm -hmm. That person Mm -hmm. should not be even offered that. And even if they want it to the core of their being to allow that, 
like, well, you said it was fine. So it's fine is super like it's irresponsible. It's irresponsible. Yeah. And it's, it's not doing your duty to survey the situation, which you are trained to do, you know? And also I just wanted to throw in that a lot of doctors or hospital people, um, like OBGYNs sometimes notoriously get the, like that they're always going to be assholes when you transfer and that they're always going to be pissed, <laughs> like, you know, and it's, be, and I want to say that I did have that view when I was in residency, because like you're saying, I saw the shit of the shit of the shit the dumpster and fire. Then yeah. it was yeah. my problem, you know? Yeah. So it was like this, oh, we did all these things. We labored at home for four days. The baby has meconium. The baby's huge. Oh, it's 43 weeks. Yeah. Here you Polar go. Dystocia, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that's a, and that was exactly what happened to me one time. And it was a huge shoulder dystocia. It took three providers to reduce the baby. Mm. And the oh. whole time the parents were saying, stop pulling on the baby. And we were like, we're not pulling. <gasps> we're trying to reduce the dystocia and get this baby to deliver alive. Yeah. And that, you know, but they were told like that I was going to deliver by just pushing and doing this and that, and that was how it was going to be. And then we step in and we're the assholes who changed their plan. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know? Right. Right. We've even seen that with like in the NICU where they had a home birth go wrong and then everything that we're trying to like implement and do is being yeah. very, yeah, yeah. it's, it's hard and- yes. because the, these, these families that are planning to have a very low intervention birth, like it has rarely crossed their mind that they're going to maybe need to have to do something. Yeah. So one of the things that I really loved about where I had worked previously was we did talk about those. Like, let's talk about the what ifs. What if we do have to go to the hospital? What's your plan then? Mm-hmm. If your baby needs to have some resuscitation, these are the steps that we're going to do. So it's not this big shock of like, <gasps> what, are that's great. That's what are you doing to me? What are you doing to my baby? Yeah. But you know, you can still do that. And these people will still be like, actually, I don't agree with that. Do we need to put oxygen on our baby? Like, can we just wait? And you know, like, so it's really hard. Yeah. There has really to be hard. that conversation prior and like, it's not all roses and butterflies and that it's, but in the same way, I also want to say that it's not in the hospital. Right. I was you know? just going to say that. And so I think it was, uh, you know, a good thing for me to work at a birth center because I did see the normal then, mm-hmm. you know, and I realized that, okay, like my bias from before was because of the worst of the worst of the worst, but yeah. the worst of the worst happens in the hospital too. It sure does. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it's just like you traumatize and doctors have PTSD. Oh yeah. All and providers, that, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, it's not like we're immune to it, you know, and we that unfortunately will cloud our bias later. We try not to, but like when I've seen a baby die because the, the mom just didn't want to transfer, that sucks. Mm, yeah. You know, it's almost like uh, knowing too much. You know, it's yeah. like we all have a little too, we all, ignorance is bliss, right? Like- right, right. <laughs> But it's been good for me, especially as an OBGYN, to see the birth center because now I I do trust a lot more Mm -hmm. and it's helped to reduce my PTSD, to heal my PTSD. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm in a very privileged situation in that not many doctors have that experience or will ever be in a position to have that experience because a lot of times birth centers do not have doctors in there. And I'm just in a very unique situation that 
my practice wanted to open a birth center. See, and that's what I had heard because who was it we were talking to and they were saying the birth center that they were at, there was no um, doctors uh, and the other difference being that there was no OR. So like, God forbid yeah, that's you need to do emergency you, There C-section. is no OR. Yeah, there's no OR. There's that's, never an OR at a birth center. Mm, and it is right. very, very, very rare to have an OB provider in the facility. I would say like, I, I have heard of one place where an OB delivers at a birth center and that was out East. Yeah. And I don't, I do not deliver there um, because I'm not trained to. So <clears throat> just because I'm trained in birth doesn't mean that I can do a, Correct, a yeah. birth center birth. So midwife. So crazy. I didn't know that. See, this is yeah. things that we had no idea. Yeah. So I would not, if they're screaming and stuff, I'd be like, you want an epidural? Yeah. So Courtney, <laughs> we love to say this. Courtney is trained in the abnormals, in the pathology. If you need to have an emergent cesarean birth, she's your gal. If yeah. you need somebody that is trained in the normals, the low risk, I'm the person that you want to mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. I can support the heck out of you while you're laboring and trying to do it unmedicated. Yeah. I don't know how to do a water birth, so don't ask. I can, I can do it. <laughs> So can you touch a little bit more on that? Because I don't think like even me going through nursing school and being a NICU nurse doesn't really quite. And then maybe because I also don't have kids, but I just I don't haven't worked with like a lot of midwives because I'm only in the the abnormal section of this scope. So, yeah, yeah, midwifery care is almost ubiquitous and not the United States. So everywhere that's not the United States (laughs) uses them big time. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like there's different levels of midwifery. So if you go way back in time, there are what's called community midwives or granny midwives. Um, So I am Native American. My great grandmother was a community uh, midwife and she hated it. Um, Mm -hmm. She just had a million children and she knew how to birth babies. And so she was like, great, I can provide care to people while they're doing it, but it scared the pants off of her. Um, but that still is something that goes on now. Um, so you have these community midwives, they, or lay midwives, they don't have any medical training. They don't have any training other than what people have passed down to them. Um, those are the midwives that I think when you hear bad outcomes, they're often tied to that. Mm-hmm. Um, because they don't have that. And so people are like, you know, why are they, why are they practicing medicine? They shouldn't be practicing medicine. Correct. I also, as a certified nurse midwife, do not practice medicine. That is for medical providers like Courtney. Um, And so then there's another thing called certified professional midwives. So they don't have any nursing background. Um, They have gone into midwifery and it's a long, intensive process, like seven years of of schooling to become a a CPM. Um, They typically will be doing home birth practices. Um, I think in some states they can do birth center births as well, Um, but they don't do any um, hospital births. And because they usually are not a nurse prior. Correct. Right. Yep. So there's no nursing at all. Um, they cannot prescribe medications. And so historically it's been a bit of a, a barrier to provide safe care because we know that when you're having a birth, oftentimes you need to do something like Pitocin postpartum to control bleeding. Mm -hmm. They can't get their hands on that. It's a, it's a thing. I think there's some States that are making it easier for them. Um, so those are the CPMs. And then there are certified nurse midwives, such as myself, where we have nursing backgrounds. So I was a registered nurse prior, then I went on my master's degree in midwifery. Um, so I am an ind- independent uh, provider. I can prescribe medications. Um, 
I can see you for things that are outside of giving birth. Um, and I can work in all of the settings. So I can do home birth. I can do birth center birth. I can do hospital births. I think it's rare to see certified nurse midwives do home births. Um, but so I always tell people I'm a nurse first. So I think that's really important because as nurses, we're trained and how to respond to, you know, normal things and abnormal things. We see a lot of emergencies. And so my nurse brain comes in and I can throw in an IV real fast while also controlling bleeding and providing oxygen and doing and all I the can't, things. And I can't, I'd be like, I'd probably kill you with an air embolus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't have Courtney start your IV. I started I one it. in med school like yeah. 12 years ago. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious is because I think this is like a thing in the nurse world. Are you essentially, are you a nurse practitioner, but in midwife, like you're an advanced practice nurse yep. correct and so it's yep. like along the lines of like you're an np you have the training of like an advanced yeah so nurse. we call it an aprn or advanced practice registered yeah. nurse um i i do have my you have to do a ton of schooling so this is something that i used to work with nurses that were like oh midwife if you're not any special i could do your job and i'm like actually <laughs> sure go for it yeah. it's <laughs> come at me bro <laughs> yeah. yeah i had to go to school for three and a half years to get my master's degree to be able to do this job effectively and safely um so i do um so yes i've become a, a certified nurse midwife but also uh, a women's health practitioner so i'm i'm i've got two certifications that i and work my ass separate. off for yeah, yeah. So a nurse midwife isn't automatically a women's health nurse practitioner. Yeah. Katie had to get double board certified. Yeah. Katie has got school issues. And <laughs> She's addicted. I am so addicted, but it's so fun because I love learning and like figuring out how can I support people. Um, and so that is something that, you know, midwives are historically just fantastic at is providing really good hands-on care to people um, and meeting them where they're at. So what I think a lot of people don't know is that you can have a midwife, you can have an unmedicated birth, and you can also have an epidural if you decide you want to do one. Like we can provide you excellent care with an epidural too. And in a birthing center? No. 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 Okay. No. If you want an epidural, yeah, you got to be in a hospital. Are, yeah. Birth Natural. centers are um, low intervention. So okay. like there, you can still have pain options for that. Like there's some places that do nitrous. We use nitrous at my previous place. Um, which is laughing gas, right? The things you use at the dentist. Um, water birth. Water birth, hydrotherapy, showers. Um, you can use a TENS unit, which is something that maybe people oh, remember from like physical therapy. No, um, I, I use tens. that for powerlifting. Yeah, 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 we love uh, it. Yeah. Uh, we always joke that midwives have terrible boundaries. Like we're always touching people and getting up in people's face in real life because we're so used to doing that during labor and birth. Um so yeah, I just, I mean, we're, we do, we provide that, that kind of care is different, I think, than OB care. Yeah. OBs are um, going to come see you a few times throughout your labor, but we're not going to necessarily be there the entire time because you won't be providing hip squeeze. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Not. <laughs> You're not helping not. position one, the, the peanut ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's somewhat due to the nature of our job, because like I said before, like we're, I'm the person. So like, you know, where we have five or 10 nurses on labor and delivery, taking care of options. I own all of those patients and I'm responsible for all of those patients and all the gyne patients and everybody that calls and all the nurses calls. And then also the ER. <laughs> yeah. So both are good and both are right for the right people. Because right. like, honestly, like if I was in the middle of labor, I'd be like, everybody get the F out of my room. I want to chill. Like where some people might be like, I need someone in there talking to me the entire time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, 
different people, different strokes for different folks or whatever you want to say. Yeah. And one, I, one is not better than the other. That was something that I, I think I tell people all the time, like when you know, you know, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. if this yeah. is the type of labor and birth that you want, head in this direction. If you want something else, go this way. If you don't care, try other things. Like you, there's no wrong answer. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell my patients that I want my epidural in the parking lot when I arrive. Yes. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the same. So I, I want it ready. Like while I'm getting my and wristband on, you baby prepping. That's my trauma. You know, that's my PTSD. That's like where I've never, uh, like, I actually rarely have a person who goes natural just because that's the people that come to me. Is the Do you know what's going to happen then is it's going to be like, you're going to have a precipitous birth. Yeah. I'm going to have a precipitous birth. You're going to have to deliver. be walking in. I just feel like God gave us all this technology to relieve our suffering. So why should I suffer? This is my thing. Let's talk gut health. Imagine this, a probiotic that actually works and does what it's supposed to do. When you find the right probiotic, the one that really works, it's really like winning the lottery. Introducing Just Thrive Probiotic. So this probiotic is the real deal. It has been through rigorous testing formulated with scientific research using the foundation of health to create these wellness products. We actually brought on co-founder and CEO of Just Thrive, Tina Anderson, where we dug deep into the formulation of these products. Just Thrive worked closely with Dr. Simon Cutting. He's a world-renowned probiotic expert at London University, Royal Holloway, to gain access to the most widely studied and used probiotic strains in the world. I have personally used these products for the past three months, you guys, and I cannot speak highly enough about them. A little bit about their products. They are 100% survivability, vegan, non-GMO, soy-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, salt-free, nut and gluten-free as well. Clinically proven strains for leaky gut with nine other ongoing human clinical trials currently. They are a powerful immune and brain support. Say goodbye to your uncomfortable, bloating, embarrassing, gassy, leaky gut, you guys. One that I can speak personally on. Say hello to feeling regular and a clear head. All right, you guys. And of course we have an amazing offer for you. If you head over to justthrive.com forward slash selfie, you get 15% off of your order. Again, that's justthrive.com forward slash selfie, justthrive.com forward slash selfie. All right, you guys, let's get back into the show. Okay. Because I think this is actually really important to talk about. And I think something that both of you as providers would really agree with. So, cause we've talked about this before in the NICU world, like, you know, babies come when and how they want to come. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just what they do. And I'm really curious your thoughts on like the birth, the coining of birth plans versus birth preferences and sort of speaking to like the moms as to like and like when you're presenting them with like okay you're pregnant and we have all of these like anticipations but like you're kind of guiding them into the idea of like okay there's a plan and then there's a way that babies want to come I don't know if you guys can speak to that a little bit I always tell people that you know it's so good to have a plan a plan is fantastic it helps you to think about the next steps but it shouldn't be a concrete object, right? It's, it's gotta be fluid. It's gotta be changeable. Um, so it's good to have an idea. Once you have it stuck that, you know, I can only have an unmedicated birth doing hands and knees, you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And then it goes, 
it goes different. Like those are when we're going to feel like we're failures. Mm -hmm. And when we feel like we didn't succeed in the way that we planned, then that's where we're at risk of having postpartum mood disorders. Um, And so really talking about absolutely have a plan, but let's talk about like, what else can we do? Because really the baby is the ruler of all things when it comes to labor. You are, you are just one piece of the puzzle when you're laboring and giving birth. But if the baby's not tolerating, we have to listen to the baby. And sometimes you have to think about where you're delivering. So if you're delivering at a birth center and you were wanting an epidural, yeah. that ain't going to happen. That's not going to happen. And vice oh. versa, you know, if you're wanting a water birth with an epidural in the hospital, no, that ain't going to happen. Not a thing. <laughs> it is not a thing. So you can, you know, talk to, if you have something that, and we say like, pick maybe like your top three or five things and then talk to your provider about it because what you hear online does not mean that that is available in your hospital. Right. Sometimes even people cannot VBAC or vaginal birth after C-section or TOLAC, trial of labor after C-section in a rural hospital because they don't have in-house anesthesia. And so don't never assume that just because just you heard because about you it on the it. internet yeah. yeah, and you saw someone do it and your friend and your uncle did it. Whatever. It's 2021. So I'm cool with it. But the other piece is like, this is a, a, an excellent tool for communication. So it's a good way for you to talk about what it is that you want with your partner or your support people. Talk about what you want with your provider and continue that conversation with your nurses so that you have a say, right? You never want to just show up and be like, I'm going to wing it. I'm going to see what's going to happen because birth is a wild ride. Like you can feel super out of control. So having something to be like, you know, I would love to do an unmedicated birth, but if I can't do it, I need to know what my options are and here's what I'm going to do. So it isn't just like the surprise of, holy shit, this is happening to me. Well, I think it's good to get all that stuff worked out early on in your early OB appointments. We tell people usually by third trimester is when you should be having these conversations about like, what what would you desire? And and maybe moving away from calling it like, what's your plan? plan. Yeah. yeah. What would you like your options to be? And and Birth how can preferences. we try to yeah? How can yeah. we accommodate these preferences? And I think hospitals are also moving towards a lot of more um, natural things too. In my experience, like we ubiquitously do one minute or more of delayed cord clamping. But that yeah. wasn't yeah. that used to be a mm-hmm. thing on a birth plan. Now it's just like that's it's how just it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it should be the research is even there. in our yeah. high risk babies, I will say this too. Like 30 seconds is most standard. It's like even our preemies will get delayed cord clamping. I mean there's a lot of push and then you know the um golden hour I would say after birth is like the most standard thing now. I mean as far as like breastfeeding and then getting you know the golden hour is like the big thing now. So yeah, I would agree with you. I think that's the big push is as natural as possible now. Well, I think it's exciting times to be able to see both because I don't yeah, think yeah, one yeah. or the other is better. But I always think m- using multiple modalities in conjunction with each other is always going to be, in my opinion, <laughs> my expert opinion, <laughs> yeah. is like going to yield like the best outcomes. Like even when we do a lot of like Eastern Western medicine, like not birth related things, I'm just like... I'm all about homeopathic, all natural stuff, but it doesn't mean like if you're septic, you need antibiotics. Sorry. So it's like, I love mixing worlds. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we love push because we have both the OB and the midwife. Yes. And we get, I to love get that. Like, love super that. nerdy about all things postpartum. Well, let's get into <laughs> nerdy postpartum because that's like what we have you guys on here for. Like, so even just postpartum, 
What should women be and their partners be doing to care for themselves after a baby? Well, we are developing Excellent question. an entire <laughs> course on this. Yeah. Oh, so we spend, that's exciting. Like, Especially since Tori and I, up. Yeah, yeah. Tori and I are childless. So we spend a lot of time preparing for pregnancy, right? Like we, we, we plan for pregnancy. We plan for labor. We plan our baby's nurseries. You get a baby shower. We get, get a, things. yeah, we get the things. And then we forget at the end of the day that we're going to become parents and we're going to be postpartum. And there's, you know, Courtney talked to, at the beginning, how they, as providers, we don't have the information to tell our patients. Mm-hmm. I have, I've, I've said this before, we've had a paragraph in our training of mm-hmm. like, this is, the postpartum period. So it's very lacking. Um, so Courtney and I have developed a postpartum course, um, to help people prepare for it because it isn't something that you should just wing. It isn't something that you should just show up and be like, let's see what happens. Yeah. Postpartum right, right, right. <laughs> let's just see what goes on. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause yeah. there's a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's mm-hmm. more than just, it's more than just bleeding. It's more than just feeding your baby, right? There's, it's a full head to toe thing. It, it's an experience. It is life altering. Um, you are leaving your old world, your old self, and you're becoming somebody's parent. And you're doing that maybe with your partner, maybe with your family. I mean, it's huge. And we just don't put a lot of emphasis into it. And I think for people that are going to be surrogates, they're, they may not have the baby, but they're still going to go through all of postpartum. Yeah. Oh, and then the body changes. And yeah. yeah. And people who are hormones. adopting. Yeah. So people that are adopting have a new little human and, you know, aren't going to get good sleep and have to navigate formula for the first time or milk mm-hmm. banking, or sometimes you can even provoke lactation mm-hmm. in someone. Yep. So there you could have the entire lactation, you know, woes and learning and troubleshooting, and you didn't quote deliver the baby, but you're still in postpartum. So many different ways that it happens nowadays. And yeah, we don't even think about that. I think new moms too, that I see from the NICU and then just my own circle of people are shocked at how hard breastfeeding actually is. Yes. And I think they just assume, well, I have breasts. I have a baby. The baby's going to just get it. And that's it. And then they're in tears realizing that it is so hard. And then sometimes even maybe it went perfectly great with their first baby. And then baby number two will not latch is like a difficult yes. feeder. And they're just like, as a tongue tie, yeah, lip what tie. is going on? Yeah. And I don't think, and then I don't think partners or even other friends or family give women enough credit for how hard, hard it, is. it is to breastfeed. And then on top of that, if you're having to pump and even eventually go back to work and pump and breastfeed and do all that. It's a full time job in and of itself, feeding, breastfeeding yes. and yeah. pumping. And yeah. And I don't think people anticipate or how give much women enough credit that for that. Life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why in our course, we actually go over all like feeding in general. So we go over lactation, nursing, pumping and formula feeding because mm-hmm. it's not always going to work out and some oh people gosh. don't even and want to do it. And some people don't want to do it and right. that's fine. And this yes. is it's yeah. such a polarizing uh it's a it's just a polarizing topic of how are you going to feed your baby? If you decide that you're going to feed your baby human milk, the people that are formula feeding are going to lose their mind. If mm-hmm. you decide that you're going to formula feed, those it just it's so, back and forth. Yeah. There's it, however you Fed decide that you want best. to feed your baby thank you absolutely yeah. i think we've gone through such like mm-hmm. cultural mm-hmm. swings of i know me and my siblings were all formula fed because in the 80s was. that yeah. was like yep. 
oh, this is so much like this is like the new stuff. Like it's look a how, status thing. Yeah, yeah it, is. it was like look how good this formula is. It has this, this, and this. And then we did this huge swing to like breast is best and all the in which I'm like all for breast milk and how liquid gold amazing it is. But that doesn't mean that it's necessarily best for an individual and sometimes they literally can't produce milk or whatever's going on in their life or their situation that makes breastfeeding not an option and then I feel like they almost kind of I've heard stories from women that felt like they were shamed in the hospital for not breastfeeding well and that's the thing too now oh, which yes. is interesting is like now, we've swung so far the other way and yeah. then now I think we're finally kind of starting to well now you literally have to sign a consent for formula in the hospital well that's the, the baby friendly hospitals right it's a lot yeah. of hospitals uh, yeah, yeah which is almost like I feel like shaming women mm-hmm. for wanting that I think that's mm-hmm. just I hate it because I'm as a nurse I'm like it's so awkward to have to go because I work postpartum I'm NICU and oftentimes will float to postpartum and I feel so awkward having to give mm-hmm. them this form to be like you know I agree with what they're if, you, if this is what you want then this is what you want but it's so weird to say you're signing your life away to formula like it's odd Yeah, well, I know someone who had like a double mastectomy because she had breast cancer. She went to high school with me, same age. And then it's like, she can't breastfeed. She literally has no breasts. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. and that's not, yeah, like you're going to make her feel like that. I just feel like it's really, yeah, shame. Yeah, and I think that the baby-friendly designation sometimes is held to this like, oh, I have to deliver in a baby-friendly hospital. But then you get things like that, you know, where they have to meet their quota. And if they don't meet their quota, then they get the designation taken away. So then it becomes this battle of the formula, you know, and that can lead to a lot of blame. Yeah. I mean, like my sister, she delivered in a baby-friendly hospital and she was super struggling the first or second day, or first or second night postpartum. And like her milk hadn't quote unquote come in yet, you know, and Obviously. she's trying right. and yeah. everybody's right. trying right. and my little nephew's screaming his head off and they're tired. They haven't <laughs> slept in three days. And my brother was like, just like, can we just feed him formula? And they were like, no, yes. she just needs to try harder. Yeah. And so he oh was like, God. okay, I'm going to leave and get some formula. Like, yeah. fuck you guys, you know? Yeah. And yeah. he was pissed, like, you know, and he should be because that's their decision to make. And if things aren't going well, why do we want to belabor the point? We can still learn. She can pump and whatever, you know? Yeah. When the milk comes in, like, yeah. woohoo, yeah. like, yeah. all right, here's the, here's the stuff. But in yeah, the meantime, like, like, why should we let a baby scream and cry? Yeah. In those moments of crisis, you need to just do what's right for your family, mm-hmm. you know? So speaking of which, with that transition, right? Because that's like the most, I would say like those first maybe couple months are probably the craziest you're on baby schedule and you know these little signs of postpartum depression start kind of coming in I'm really curious from your guys's you know perspective of postpartum in general you know what is it how do you identify the signs that kind of thing so there's a couple of things that we talk with people about the first is something called baby blues which is a normal phenomenon that occurs after the birth of the baby in the placenta. So when you're pregnant, you've got this great big surge of hormones. Baby comes out, placenta comes out, those hormones naturally drop and you can feel a little funky. You can feel tired, you can feel sad, you can feel weepy. Um, those are normal. They will go away. You don't really need to do anything about them. Um, and those usually are within two weeks of birth. Postpartum mood disorders, and that includes more than just depression. It can be anxiety. It can be 
it can be depression. It can be OCD. You can develop PTSD. Those are things that are going to happen um, further out. Uh, some people are more prone to mood disorders. They either have a personal history, they've got family history, they've got other medical things. Their baby may have ended up in the NICU. Their birth plan may have gone sideways. And so those people are more at risk of developing these mood disorders. They're going to show up um, usually after two to four weeks, and they can go on into this controversial postpartum period because some people think six weeks is postpartum. Some people say 12. I think postpartum never ends. You are as long postpartum as you want to be. Um, but you know, signs are different for each thing and for each person. Um, and so I tell people you, for example, for depression, you might not have classic, what you think of as depression. You might not be sad and blue and like, Oh, I can't do anything. You might be angry. You might feel like you want to punch your partner in the face because they're sleeping and you're getting up every two hours to feed the baby. Um, you might feel sad. You might feel, um, very tired, or you might not sleep at all. And anxiety is something that I think a lot of people are talking more about now, but that they're getting kind of pushed off by their providers because they're like, oh, that's normal. Oh, you can feel like you're not, you know, whatever. And that's normal. But people can have like racing heart. They might have difficulty turning their brain off. They might have difficulty falling asleep. They might feel like the worst thing is going to happen to their baby. And they're scared to talk about it because they are going to get that answer of, you're fine, or there's nothing wrong, or I don't know what to do with you. And I think that's unfortunate. Um, and so Courtney and I talk a lot about planning during pregnancy, planning before all of these things happen, um, figuring out who these people are that you're going to talk to should you need them. Is that your OB provider? Is that a mental health provider? Is it just going and going to a support group? Um, we really tell people stay off of Google at 2 a.m. because that's yes. where you're going to find out that you, what is it that you say you, you live on? You're gonna, you got cancer and you're going to die. Yeah. And you live on Mars or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. You live like, on Mars. Yeah. Yeah. And that's we actually have a doctor free, Google. Yeah. yeah, exactly. On our website, we have a free um, tips for preventing postpartum depression uh, and blues guide. So everybody can download that as well. Yeah. That's helpful. Yes. Very. Some women I don't even think realize that that's a thing so yeah and then they are and, kind of made to think that they're like that's normal you should just feel that way like yes. it it's totally and normal I can tell you from experience so I have been pregnant five times is it five times five times yeah five times six five babies. times six babies um I have four of my own I was a surrogate with twins um I have wow. had mood disorders like all but one pregnancy and every single time I had no idea that I was going through it. Like I was just an asshole, just like bah, 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 bah. what's happening. Uh, it was the people around me that figured it out that were like, Katie, what is going on with you? Why are you, why are you the way that you are? And then being like, <laughs> well, <laughs> let's just talk. Yeah. And I think it's important to highlight that partners can also have postpartum anxiety, depression, OCD, PTSD, yeah. all that. Um, because, you know, if you had a traumatic birth, it affects them too. Mm -hmm. And sleep deprivation and screaming babies affect them too. Yes. And so they, and for men, especially as partners, they are always wanting to protect us and, you know, be the problem solvers. And in birth, you have to relinquish all of that control. They can yeah. do nothing. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> they can smile at you and rub your really? head. Like they cannot intervene. They cannot do the surgery for you or for us, you know? Um, and they are going through the same trauma that the birthing person is. Yeah. And so they have to 
resolve that as well. And um, a lot of their symptoms are anger, frustration, physical violence, all of that stuff. And so it's important for them to seek help as soon as possible too. Yeah. So why do you think that it's so kind of just under-recognized in our healthcare system? I think it's hard to admit, honestly. Yeah. I think it, number one, as the person going through it, I think it can be really hard to say, I'm struggling, I need help. Then I think the next roadblock is figuring out who the heck you're supposed to talk to. Mm-hmm. Is my yeah. provider that I've been seeing for the last nine months still my provider? Are they my, my contact person? If I do go to them, do they know how to screen me for these mood disorders? If I do screen positive, I do, I do have something, then what are they going to do? Do they know how to handle it? And I think, unfortunately, because of the training that is mm-hmm. <laughs> happening now, people don't know how to do it. Um, I have, in my own training, was taught very little, um, decided because I'm the type of person that I am to go and do more education on it and to go to conferences and to keep reading and to keep learning. And so I talk to my patients about these things and I am very comfortable screening and diagnosing and managing. And if it's not within my scope of practice, I have a list of people that I'm like, these are your people. You need to go talk to them. But the other tricky part, besides all of those other barriers, comes down to, again, insurance. And what is insurance going to cover and what aren't they going to cover? And a lot of times insurance does not cover mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Big and I think it's in our country. A big one. Yeah. Yeah. And if your partner or I mean, your provider says, well, you're fine. You're fine. Come back later. Um, go see somebody else. Yes. You're not yeah. tied to them. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, people don't understand that. Yeah. That's a Definitely. big thing. You know, it's funny because I, I love shopping around. <laughs> I'm like, if, if I don't jive with someone, because I've actually kind of started shopping my OBs and kind of like, okay, like, would this be a good fit? You know, and mm-hmm. um, but I think you're right. Like, if, if that isn't a good fit, then, you know, you can definitely try someone else. Yeah. I think another stigma, too, is medication. Like, mm-hmm. oh, Tori and I talk about Zoloft that a lot. Or Prozac. We're both yeah. on meds. Yeah. So we're, yeah. <laughs> we're like, we're yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. but not every not every mood disorder needs to be medicated. There Correct. are some mm. things that you can try. There are some alternative methods of things that you can do. And again, Courtney and I talk about that on our website and on our social media. Um, but you know, there isn't a one size fits all when it comes to mood disorders and managing them. And and they're not always for life, right? So if you get the help early on, you can move past things pretty quickly. Yeah, ASAP on the you know, if you're starting to feel it, just contact someone. Don't sit there and wait it out and feel miserable forever. Is that something that's done at like screened for at the six week postpartum visit? Yes, depends on the provider and the practice, but okay. yes, usually. And more and more pediatricians are actually yeah. doing it because oh, they are seeing the babies. Um, so we sometimes get calls from people or from pediatric providers and they say, you know, you need to look at this mom and then we have them come in. Yeah. You know? And it's really, we, we just spoke with these amazing pediatricians. They're called the PD pals. Um, and you know, they're just like, our job is not to take care of the postpartum parents. Our job is to take care of this baby. But when we see 
parents that are struggling, we are it's human and we're like, what's happening? Baby, though, well, it's kind of the same thing in the NICU world. Yeah. If we, you know, we obviously care for the babies, but honestly, like it's on a lot of NICU nurses were the ones to refer and say, hey, social work, hey, you know, whoever it is, like something seems off with the mom, like, you know, can we get her some help? And I do agree. I think it's kind of interesting, like the whole idea of like, bring everyone in on this. Like it's not, it doesn't mm-hmm. come down to just one provider. It's sort of all of us working as a team to help collectively pick up on things, you know, find the best resources, which is why we were so excited to learn about your push program that you guys are starting. Cause I think that's just one new way for people to start opening up and, you know, learning about things and having the ability to get their hands on resources and, you know, things like that. Yeah. And we have a lot of episodes on our podcast that talk about this and Katie actually shares her, her entire story um, which has many, uh, it's got all the things, hills and valleys. <laughs> Do you know which episode number that is by chance? We can, oh, uh, everyone needs yeah, to listen. Me, um, was it early on? It was, I think it was like our fifth episode maybe, but let me check real fast. Yeah. I think, I just think that more people need to talk about it, which is why I was really excited to have Courtney interview me about it because it was, I mean, if we just keep it to ourselves and we don't tell people then we're not doing any good. Like mm-hmm. people are suffering and and oh, I love to tell people like, hi, I'm a midwife and I do birth work all the time. But guess what? I also was in your shoes not that long ago. Yeah. Well, we're a very hush-hush society when it comes to your own mental health struggles. Yes. And Tori and I try to highlight that a lot on this podcast. Like we've talked about like eating disorders and mental health, bipolar, depression, all these things because so many people don't, feel like to share it. And I think even talking about this postpartum and pregnancy stuff too, like another really traumatic thing that causes a lot of PTSD and things is miscarriage. And that's something too that I think historically and in our society has been very much like don't ever share with it. Don't tell people you've had a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. People stay really quiet about it. And I think that's totally within your right. It's I respect any woman's preference on how they, you know, if they want to share that or not. But when there are women that do kind of open up and share their experience, it's amazing the amount of other women that come forward and are like, oh my gosh, like I've experienced that too, but I've never felt like I could talk about that with anyone or share that. Yeah. And people that have miscarriages or loss are postpartum as well. You know? mm-hmm. and so yeah. You're still- yeah. And I think they get yeah. missed out on that um, part yeah. of the demographic because they're not con- – I think people don't consider that, but that's such Mm -hmm. a good point. Yeah. Um, And I looked up those episodes. So Katie's episode is number six, but Mm -hmm. one through six are all about postpartum mood disorders. So those would all be good. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be Yeah. Definitely check those out, you guys, for more in depth on that. Um, Okay. So let's talk about your push program or, you know, just sort of everything encompassing your brand and everything that you guys are kind of building together. How did this all start? Like, what are your, the things that you're really highlighting and kind of developing? Yeah. So it kind of came about, like we said before, we just kind of noticed this black hole (laughs) in our medicine Mm -hmm. or medical society, you know, um, in our teaching and in our practice, because, you know, it's hard as an OBGYN provider. I think Katie does a better job of this, but my visits are like 15 minutes. I have 20 to 30 visits a day. Like it's really, really hard to say all the things about all the things, pregnancy, labor, delivery, birth, everything, postpartum. So we noted that there needed to be this education, but there was nowhere that was really 
doing it or yeah. nobody that was really doing it. Like the people that were doing it were not qualified yeah. to be doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, we were, I, yeah. I had birth, I, you know, I had given birth and I'm a mom. And so I'm going to talk about it. That's great. Yeah. But like no. sharing but experiences are great. Yes. yes. But if you're like, you are counseling people or telling them like, this is the only way. Well, that's actually not true. Like you're yeah. just doing a one-sided one view. experience view. Yeah. And we, in our um, and postpartum.push on Instagram and our blog and our podcast tried to cover all the different realms. So we talk about formula feeding. We talk about lactation. We talk about partner depression. We talk about birthing person, mood disorders. Um, and we try to be very inclusive. So if you yeah. hear Courtney, like she's not saying breastfeeding, she's saying nursing or lactation because, right. mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. people who are postpartum aren't always identifying as moms with Breasts, right? So yeah, I appreciate really that you guys to... are inclusive of that. Yeah, we try to we try to hit all the all the things and talk to all the people. Yeah, be very inclusive. We have a podcast on health equity um, and um, you know birth litigation um, with Elephant Circle here. That's a the awesome nonprofit. Um, you know, uh, gosh, we have fifty two episodes now, so <laughs> there's everything. We get a little um, nerdy talking about all the things. Oh yeah, and we talk it. also about THC and CBD with um, a oh. very awesome, uh, very well educated IBCLs on our podcast. Uh, and then we also have resources on our website, which is www.postpartumpush.com. And then you can sign up for a pre pre registration of our course there as well. And we're going to offer a huge discount for the people that have signed up there. And we're currently recording our course right now. And so hopefully it's we have amazing. that up. It's, it really it's a lot, I wish I would have had it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be so prepared, Courtney, for when you. Yeah, I hope so. I know. Everybody <laughs> says like, Courtney and I are going to be prepared. I yeah. know. We're going yeah. to need to do that. And it's cool because if you have a cesarean birth, there's a cesarean birth section. If you have oh, a fourth ooh, degree tear, yeah. there's a section on that. If you have a first ooh. degree tear, there's a section on that. Um, there's and all the loss, moods and all the, all the yeah. Moods. Weight yeah. loss and hair loss and like the things that happen postpartum that people aren't uh-huh. thinking about and loss and stillbirth and um you know I cannot suffer hair loss I can't risk having a child just for the sake of <laughs> it will happen it's normal I'm there not, is no magic it. pill to make it stop but do take your prenatals yeah take <laughs> I take prenatals now and I no, have I am actively trying to avoid getting pregnant right now. <laughs> And I still take prenatals. When should people start like seeking your resource? Like when's a good time yeah, for someone to be question. looking for you guys? The second you get pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Like, right. if, you yeah. don't have to be postpartum. Or even if you are postpartum and it's a few months out, check out our stuff because we try to not just be like the first six weeks. We look at other things too. Yeah. And we give baby tips sometimes too. We try not to be like too in-depth into the peds world, but those newborn things that happen we yeah that's specific yeah what is like some like maybe three top myths that you want to bust about the postpartum period Ah, i got a good one the first one i Mm. always think about is if i don't do skin to skin immediately i will not bond with my baby i hate that one that's Um, the nicu like we all want to like like kick that one in the butt we're like it's so terrible i just you know like there's a lot of good research on what immediate skin to skin does but oh my gosh it can benefit both the birthing birthing parent and the baby even if it is day two or week three yeah I did skin to skin with my last baby until she was like trying to crawl away from me so she was like last yeah week. <laughs> last week when she was four and a half yeah no um I think another one is that bir- like postpartum just happens to you and you're just a you know a, a, like a bystander yeah like a bystander <laughs> like a a unactive participant because 
you can plan for it and you can prepare for it and you can help yourself. And there are little changes that you can make. Of course, you can't change your baby's personality. Like, you know, some babies want to sleep forever. Some babies never want to sleep, but there are things that you can do to encourage good sleep. And, you know, your baby's going to be awake all the time in the first eight weeks. That's just the fact of life, but you can align your schedule with them. You can encourage their sleep and you too can get sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's 100% necessary and should be required because yeah. you are, it's been proven that if you are very, very sleep deprived, it is the same as being drunk. And so you should not operate a car. You should not go to your postpartum appointment if you didn't sleep at all, like have someone bring you, you know, and the same as care, you wouldn't get drunk and care for your baby, you know, and like we give a lot of tips on how to optimize that Mm -hmm. um, and to hopefully have the best postpartum that you can. Mm -hmm. I think another myth is that you have to do it all. Yeah. We have to have that community. Yeah. I I thought I had to be super, super mom. You don't. Oh my gosh. I'm not now. Yeah. You're like, and I'll take all the help I can get. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what's what what's right for your friend or your sister or your what your mom did is or somebody on social media. Yeah, somebody on social oh media my God. is maybe not right for your family and to not feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like there are a million reasons for everything and every choice has a million things behind it. And yeah. that's what you gotta do is right for you. I wonder why we feel like we have to give reasons postpartum mm-hmm. like yeah no like why, why do we need to justify yeah yes. there's none yeah. we wouldn't do that in real life right yeah. like oh i ordered a salad and i'm or you know yeah instead of why a did you do that Courtney? <laughs> exactly. i wanted a burger okay <laughs> what are some tips that you guys or that you see like the top tips for partners of someone who gave birth, you know, one month, two months in, do you have any good tips for them? I have all the tips. Get up in the the middle of the night. Oh my God. Yes. If you're, if you are working, that is not an excuse to not help. Yeah. Boom. Say say it one more time louder (laughs) for the people Um, in the back. Yeah. You're not a sperm donor. You're not. Yeah. Also speaking of sperm, you do not owe that person sex or yes. sexual favors or whatever, just because you cannot have sex during that six weeks postpartum. Like that's not. Mm. Yeah. And if you, even yeah. if you clear your six week visit or whatever, and you quote unquote can have sex, yeah. if you don't want to have sex, then you yeah. don't have sex. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then on yeah. that also. That's any time ever just for the well, Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and absolutely. then on that same. 12 hour shift. Yeah. On that yeah. same line. Lubrication postpartum is so important. Yeah. Even if oh. you are having tons of foreplay and like mentally, emotionally, you're there and you're ready. If you are nursing your baby, your vaginal tissues might be a little drier. And so it might hurt. It might cause some micro abrasions. Bleeding. Yeah. So lube, lube, lube. Courtney and I talk about lube all Love the lube. time. Yeah. Uber lube, lube is the best. Tori got me best. lube for Christmas. I did. I, okay. Wait, it's coconut oil. It's amazing. It's called She's Woo Lube. W O O lube. It's coconut oil and it tastes like frosting. It's amazing. I'm a big fan. Ooh. Yeah, I'm like everybody, every woman, because it, it was it was created and I would say like branded for women. So I love that because it's very um it's not this yucky like gel like. It's very yeah. it's got a good consistency. I'm well, a she fan. knows what it tastes like. So it's <laughs> 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 yeah, well, we she literally their website right now. Yeah. <laughs> Woo lube. I'm a fan. So yeah. Any other sex tips? <laughs> oh my gosh, all the vibrators. Things. Get a vibrator. Okay. Uh, Courtney and I just think that 
you know, having sexual enhancements in, in involved can be so much yeah. more fun. And yeah, you know, I'm like, spice it nothing up. wrong. Just like that epidural, we have technology yeah. <laughs> to yeah. enhance our lives. Yeah. Why exactly. would we not use it to the fullest? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think also it can decrease the the woman or the vagina owners um the, uh stress about it honestly because like personally like, I would get anxious if I thought it wasn't like 1000% in the mood but like am I gonna orgasm am I not is it gonna feel bad like he's gonna blame himself I'm gonna blame myself and then I get in my head about it, and then I'm definitely not gonna orgasm because I'm freaking worrying about it so much mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. yeah. bring a vibrator yeah so I'll just use a vibrator and then that Fabulous. way I'm not worried about it he's not worried about it like it still and everyone wins. And everybody, <laughs> everybody wins. wins. Yeah. The other thing yeah. I think uh, is worth mentioning sex postpartum is that if you are lactating and you do have an orgasm, it's normal to have milk let down. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, these are the things no one talks about. Right? Nobody talks about them. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. So you can do things to prevent it, right? Number one, you can have a no, no orgasm sex that whatever. If that's what you want to do, do that. The other thing you can do is you can wear a nursing bra or just throw a towel down, right? Like get into it. That's fine. It's not dirty. It's not Fluids are meant to be exchanged. Yeah, it is. If we're not over body fluids, then I don't know. That's not someone that like it to just spray on them. Yeah, because then they're like, look what I just did. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of hot. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Okay, so I have um, a very selfish question for you guys. Um, do you have recommendations of how to find a good either OB or midwife? Like, what should we be looking for in a good provider? Well, in a practice for OB care, um, if you have, like, one thing that I run into a lot. So if you do not want a male, you need to make sure that that practice does not have a male. <laughs> because oh, they are going to be on call. And like, you know, males are fine doing deliveries. Like they're very capable as we all are. Um, But some people have trauma past. Some people have uh, religious, you know. Or they just um, have a thought of it. Yeah. yeah, They just don't want it. They just don't want it. So um, it's it's a, like, I don't know what the right word is, but when people come to me and they're like, well, I'm not having a male. I say, well, then you need to find a new practice. (laughs) Right. Because I cannot guarantee that. And like, you know, this you know, the male provider in our practice is awesome. Like I'll let him deliver my baby, you know, but if that's your POV, then you need to find a new practice because Mm -hmm. I cannot guarantee that. And like we've said before, I cannot be on call for everybody all the time, you know, and, and that's unrealistic. And so that's one thing. And then also, um, you can pick a practice without picking a provider per se. So make sure where your hospital, where you want to deliver, that your practice goes there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's so a big one. you cannot just deliver anywhere. You can't just walk in and be like, here's here I am for my baby. Where's my doctor? <laughs> also, if you plan on like getting your tubes tied or things like that, yeah. that can impact. Yeah. If you're at a Catholic uh, oh, hospital, you are yeah. not getting birth control or tubal ligation because that's against the sister's wishes. Literally. Um, I think it's important to stay off of Google. Uh, one thing I really hate as a provider is, sounds terrible, but like the patients being able to just write like terrible things about yes. providers and yes. it's like that's not even number one that's not true that's not what happened yeah and number two like you know I couldn't provide an epidural and a water birth while you're upside down like, like that 
I'm sorry. Realistic. Yeah. So I think, I think staying off of Google is really important. I think word of mouth is really important, right? Like, so if you have a group of people that you know, that really enjoy their provider, ask them why, and what is it that was so special about it? Um, and not everybody is going to be for everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and honestly, not every doctor likes every patient. Okay. It's all yes. right. Like, Can we I mean, talk like, about that? Yeah, like, it's just the yes. way it is. Let's it's keep it real. Like, oh, yes. Yeah. And you know, it's the same thing with us. Exactly. Bedside, we don't get along yeah. with parents. Exactly. And I so, have parents that like, I still get invited to NICU baby's birthdays. They're turning seven oh, years old, eight and years old. And then she has parents who cussed her out at the bedside. <laughs> well, I've been like fired from a family and I was like, yes, I felt like I won the lottery. I'm like, you don't want me to be your nurse anymore great god great. bless exactly. you Mwah, exactly love it yeah uh, add me to that it's list feelings mutual <laughs> yeah. Yeah, feeling well and and remember like you're not stuck with just having an ob you're not stuck with just having a midwife yep. right so like really think about what it is that you're hoping to accomplish so if you're like, I want low interventions, you probably do want to come see a midwife. Yes. If you're like, I, I am very interested in doing a cesarean birth. Guess what? I'm not your gal. Mm -hmm. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be Courtney. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to realize that because sometimes I, I think it may happen a little bit more on my side of things. I don't know. But like people are kind of like thinking that doctors over medicalize them. And it's just, that's how we practice. Like we practice with the fetal monitor on all the time because mm -hmm. that's our level of comfort. That's what we've been taught. That's yep. how we do it. And that's just the fact of life. And like people talk about paternalistic medicine, like doing something because you feel that it's right for the patient. Well, some of that is rooted in trauma. Like I have seen a baby die doing X, Y, and Z. So if you ask to do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to be a little bit like, are you sure? And like <laughs> say the things because I have had that experience where it, it was really bad, you know, and it's a good thing that I've like learned from that. And not that it, what, it, whatever situation happened was bad. Like, like a doctor was purposely putting this patient in danger. That's not it, you know, but when we've seen Tolax, for example, with repetitive variable, deep, deep, deep variable D cells. And then it turned out that that baby the uterus was ruptured and the baby was bleeding inside and we did an emergency C-section and now that baby has problems. You know, we acted with the information we had, but in the next delivery, if someone starts having deep variable D cells, you better bet your sweet ass that I'm in there saying, your baby might be dying now. Are you okay if we go for a C-section? <laughs> and I think that, you know, as providers, we try to do the least for the best outcome, you know, but I think that because midwives are better at normal birth and that's just a fact of life because of training. Um, like where I was trained, I had 1500 births by the time that I graduated and they were almost ubiquitously high risk. Like your comfort zone, right? Right. Yes, you know how to manage exactly. it. Right. Yeah. So if I see one blood pressure that's high, I'm like, get PIH labs, get a urine pressure. Yeah, yeah. You know, where like Katie might be like, well, let's try some other things. Let's see how it goes. No, I am not with blood pressure. <laughs> yeah, we're both yeah. Here, like, I'm not messing around. <laughs> no, but I think, you know, like Courtney's saying, we are really good at normal births. And historically, midwives do have a higher successful feedback rate. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I I don't know. It's like, so interesting. In, do you think it's because you guys kind of are more like, well, let's wait and see? Well, well and so do we do see, right? We don't, we don't 
necessarily go right for the, how are we going to do this great big induction and try to get this baby to come out quickly? And not all OB providers do that either, but I think that we use more, um, more just hands-on techniques and more alternative things that we can do. I will be really honest that VBACs for me make me my pants. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I had to myself. Me. I love that. Yeah, they <laughs> had to I yourself. Had to myself and I Were you scared like, like no, yourself going into it? Um, I had a pregnancy brain, so I was very dumb and I didn't remember anything. I couldn't even I don't even know. Like it's pregnancy even brain a thing. Is it's that like thing. it's legit, huh? It's legit. Yeah, I with heard. my last baby decided stupidly to get pregnant while I was in grad school and um grad school's really hard and terrible. Uh, it was terrible. It was, a, it's a perfect decision now because she's phenomenal, but I just, I struggled so hard and, um, it was yeah. a good choice. Cause I like her now. Yeah. I love her. <laughs> she's great. It works out. But like, I questioned life big time when I was pregnant. Yeah. Uh, no pregnancy brain is real. And so luckily for me, cause I was a labor and delivery nurse when I had, um, my last two and there, there was, those were VBACs and I just remember my, my coworkers being like, that's stupid. Why are you doing that? You had, well, okay. So I had two vaginal births then I had the cesarean section with the surrogacy and then went on to have the two VBACs. And I just thought, well, I can do it. I have a proven pelvis. Like I can do this, but it never crossed my mind. Yeah. That I could have a uterine rupture. Right. Right. Well, and it is rare. It's 1% in a typical cesarean delivery, one cesarean low transverse delivery. Their rupture rate is 1%. But when it's you, it's 100%. And it's scary AF, you know? And, but also, you know, I think too, when you're a surgeon and you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, you're like, I'm looking for that because Yeah, because I can do a vacuum, I might think about doing a vacuum where Katie can't. And so she doesn't. Right. So she thinks more about position changing and she thinks about, you know, trying different position pushes and things where like sometimes having more tools can lead you to use them, um, which are, which is fine. And I really try to like check my tool privilege, if you want to say. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, no, but you're right. I think that's like a that, big, but big thing to think about. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, cause you're going to use it if you got it. Yeah. And, yeah. um, but I think that's, that's true for doctors certain doctors more than others and it depends on when you grew up and when you went to residency mm-hmm. because and how your practice is now yeah yeah exactly if you live in a rural setting and anesthesiologist is 20 minutes away they're going to call your c-section yeah a lot sooner than if your anesthesiologist is in the next room mm-hmm. you know if your anesthesiologist is in the next room you can wait until it's critical and it's time to go you know but if you need to call them in and your baby starts looking bad, you're going to go, okay, we need to do a C-section, you know, because that's your level of safety. You know, your margin of safety is different. If you are in a hospital that does not have a NICU, your margin of safety is going to be very different. Mm -hmm. And if you have a level four NICU, you're going to be being like, well, I have all the support that I need. And if we need to do this, we will, you know? Right. Right. So speaking to, no, it does. Get so, yeah, no, Move speaking on. to healthcare providers, um, do you have any good tips for 
whomever it may be about the postpartum period. I mean, all of us, obviously, a lot of people who listen here are healthcare providers, but we're also going to be parents one day or, you know, but do you have any good tips for them as to the postpartum period in general? Um, Yeah. yeah. I think educate yourself. Don't rely on where you have gotten your formal training um, because I think that is super subpar. So take full advantage of getting your CMEs, learn as much as you possibly can, and then practice to the fullest extent of your scope of practice. Yeah, because we really, I think one thing that I, I really struggle with is watching people come in and they're like, okay, I, I have depression. I, I need something. And that person, their provider is like, great. That's actually not me. So I'm going to send you to a different person and you can tell your story again. Well, it's really, really hard to number one, find the words to say, I'm struggling and I need help. And then to tell your story to one person and just to have them turn around and say, now you got to go tell it to somebody else where if you could just educate yourself as a, whatever it is that your role is in and practice in that scope, you could potentially be providing that care to them instead of sending them out. What would you just recommend in general to better support people through the postpartum period? I think start start talking about it, right? Like yeah. during pregnancy, yeah, that third trimester, education is so key. Yeah. And I think a lot of times postpartum people are like written off, like we've said, and to believe them. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are some rare things that happen in postpartum. Like we just did a, a recording of a podcast yesterday for Deemer, which is dysphoric milk ejection reflex. So a lot of people have really bad anxiety during milk letdown and they just think they're, they have anxiety and, oh, like, why do I feel this way? Like, am I crazy? Like, what's this going on? But no, it's an actual medical condition. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think if providers don't know what that is, certain, yeah, you know, whatever it is that that person is feeling, it's very easy to be like, that's normal fine mm-hmm. instead of being like what are our resources what can we do to to support you yeah and to say that you don't know and you're going to look it up right yeah because yeah, guess what know nobody knows everything and, yeah, and if right. you do you should not be in that field anymore yeah mm-hmm. i whip out my phone true. all the time and yeah. i'm like i'm just yeah. gonna check the dose because i don't want to be wrong and 100%. i cannot remember that that's ridiculous to assume that everybody can remember everything you know and i'm never going to remember the dose of acyclovir because it's just a block in my brain so I got to look it up every single time, <laughs> but I don't feel bad about it. Like, you know, if the patient's making you feel bad about it, uh, ask them if they've ever looked up something for their job. Yeah. Yeah. No, to your point though, it's, I think the understanding on both the patient and provider side that not everyone knows everything and, but, but you will do your best to, to try yeah. and find the answer, which I think is, is that's even more of a way to like, I would trust a provider who does that over someone who's just gonna try and bluff their way through it like I would prefer you to go and look it up right and you you know you can still be a good provider knowing what the right answer is but not knowing what the dose is or what the exact treatment is you know and they say like there's this commercial out there right now I don't even know what it's for but it says like it's like you know things that don't make sense in the world and one of them is doctor practice shouldn't you be done practicing in med school (laughs) and i'm like no it's called a practice for a reason because there's science and science makes new things happen and the information of the world doubles every five years so no i better keep practicing or else i'm gonna be you are outdated yes exactly like are you kidding me like i just did robot training which is practicing robot school (laughs) because 
that's not something I was taught in residency, but I'm bettering myself by doing new things to offer to my patients. Totally you know? left field question, but who does like fetal surgery? Is that OBGYNs that then uh, further go that into is that a, or is that a different group? Yes, it is an OBGYN, but they are a maternal fetal medicine specialist who Got specializes it. In fetal surgery. <laughs> Unless you are watching private practice and it's Addison oh. Montgomery. Yes. Who is it? Yes. World renowned. Yeah. And that's another one of my like pain points that's off of the stuff and the rhubarb a little bit, but it is very frustrating as a provider to have someone come to your office and expect that you do everything mm -hmm. in the world. And that's exactly right. Like fetal surgery is a subspecialty of a subspecialty of a specialty. So, you know, and I am not going to be treating your diabetes. I am not going to be, be treating your shoulder pain. I am not going to be treating your cough because I was not trained to do that. Period. Yeah, you're not a one-stop shop. Close the book. <laughs> and maybe someone who did train in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s would because medicine yeah, was literally – 5% of what it is now. They didn't have a lot 100%. of 100%. Yeah. And I think that's you know? another, it's a really good point because we have so much more information, more yes. medications, more, more disease processes. Like I just feel like people don't really understand that the, the vast amount of things that providers have to know. Yeah. yeah we manage so point, much more chronic yes, conditions that, that before too. it was just like, well, your life expectancy, eh, we're done. Yeah. We're done at 50. And now like, we're like, eh. we're so good at our job that it's made our job more difficult. I tell people, yeah, people who ask that, like, oh, like during a well woman exam, which is fine for someone who's young and healthy, but if you are having problems or you're older, you should have a PCP and an OBGYN because mm -hmm. both do not do both. Mm -hmm. and, and if someone asks me about their foot during their well woman, I say, would you ask your dentist for a pap smear? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a good question <laughs> because that's the same it's the Love same that. i don't know about yeah. your foot i just don't like yeah you know right. i don't even when people I, ask me about I adults i'm like i yeah, Nick, ooh, only no. worked in peds and NICU my entire career i don't show me your rash i don't exactly. know yeah i just don't I'm sorry know. and if i pretended to know i would be doing harm because yes. that's my hippocratic oath is that i do not do harm and i'm not going to pretend to know something that i don't just to make you feel better you know right. i want to make you feel better so i'm going to you know, well, I wouldn't be making you feel better. I'd probably be injuring you further. <laughs> but no, you're going to um, make him feel better by, by saying, here, you're going to go. Yes. You're going to go this place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that can be really frustrating to patients because they're like, well, what the hell? I came to you for all the things. And I'm I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I don't do all the things. You right. Know? Yeah. So that's approach one of misconceptions out there too. It's the same as a nurse, you know, like a flight nurse is, you know, like if you're like, Katie's not going to go on, an, on a helicopter and know what to do. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know? Puke. Like, I will puke. Not. <laughs> She'll be like, I can put on the flight suit. And then I'm, yeah. and then yeah, I can totally out. do that. You know? <laughs> yeah, because my husband now is a um, so ER ICU, and he's been doing some float stuff. And he goes, oh, my God, if they ever send me up to L&D or postpartum, I will die. I will yeah, literally die. Yeah, he would not die. know. He would not know. Yeah. He'd be like, are you bleeding? Okay. Well, how much is normal? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're probably fine. <laughs> we just started an IV. Do you need some antihypertensives? Yeah. Should we do CPR? Yeah. We can do yeah. <laughs> Should we do CPR? But it's a good yeah. thing that we have that diversity because that means that you don't want to be a Jane or Jack of all trades. You want to be the expert in one field, you know, and that's what you get when you have more specialties. So just general question for both of you. Um, both of you have so much going on. You're working professionally, your wives, you have your, your podcast, your Instagram, you're creating these courses. How do you guys balance it all? We don't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Carbs, uh, ibuprofen. Um, 
No, that's just what I do because I coffee, <laughs> carbs, and ibuprofen. Uh, it's hard. It's you feel like you can't do it all and you can't win it all, which is fine. Like, why would we need to be doing it all? Right. So there's some weeks where I am like, oh, I'm on top of it with, with push. I've done all of this stuff. Yay. And then the next week I'm like, oh, I forgot to even think about it because mm-hmm. uh, I've been doing other things and, and it's hard. And so you just have to figure out where your priorities lie. And for me, it's always, are my kids well-fed? Are they all alive and breathing? Great. Then what's the next step? And my responsibilities are usually with work and showing up there. And then when I can squeeze in pushes, unfortunately at this point is the, it's kind of the back burner, but it's still like the most passionate thing I think we do. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of started push as something to build up as we do our primary job. And then, you know, maybe our primary job is push and our other job is part-time, you know, like maybe the things switch, you know? Um, but I think also boundaries, at work at our primary job sometimes mm-hmm. not just for push but just for life like you know I'm not going to come in on my day off to help you with surgery I'm just not yeah boundaries are hard professionally yeah because I, I mean, need a day off yeah and, and that's something I think it took me my first job to learn that my first professional midwifery job to learn some boundaries and being like I actually have to step away now and that was really hard but it's so important and I think that you need to have those boundaries and then it overflows into your real life too. So you can be like, no, I'm not doing <laughs> Yeah. Like there's Boundary. a lot of times. Yeah. Where like Katie will be like today, I just can't. And I'm like, all right, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> like I did my thing. And then whenever you want to do your thing, do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, when you're both passionate about something, it doesn't become work. It becomes like your pet project. And actually that's been shown to reduce burnout. Um, there's a awesome podcast that everybody should look into, especially providers of any kind. It's geared toward women physicians, but it's still good at anything in burnout. It's called um, Brave Enough. And it's with uh, an anesthesiologist named Sasha Sasha Shilkut. And she's out of Omaha, but she talks about that, that if you have a passion outside, even if it's time, it's taking your time, but you're, you like doing it, it actually reduces burnout in your primary position or you know position. what's funny is I think position. that's why because I was pretty burned out at the bedside and when we started this podcast and I started doing all my exterior things I've like re- feel like rejuvenated mm-hmm. it, like I like what yeah. I'm doing again and it's yours yeah that's yeah why we've we like had that. some things where people have tried to also make it theirs and and those boundaries come into play and it's like actually this is our project mm-hmm. and and people can see when you're really excited about it. And like you start to bring it into your other part, other parts of your life. Like I, I bring push into my real life of work all the time. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh, look at how excited you are talking about this. I'm like, I know. <laughs> yeah. 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 We get to decide. We get to make decisions. We get to say yes. We get to say no. You know, if we don't want to work with someone, then we don't. Mm-hmm. But we don't get that luxury in our day-to-day life. Right. Someone, right. <laughs> even if you're, they're cussing you out and giving bad reviews yeah. on the ground, you show up in labor. Here you, here we are. Yeah, <laughs> you know? We're doing the thing. Yep. Well, um, before we head out, you guys, first of all, thank you so much yes. for coming on. I learned yeah. a lot we, today. Oh my God. We learned so much. Um, where can everyone find you guys? Pimp yourself out every platform. <laughs> where, where can they find you? So on Instagram, we're postpartum.push. On Facebook, The Push Revolution. Our website's postpartumpush.com. Uh, and our uh, podcast is The Push Revolution Podcast. And we're going to yeah, be launching it. our course yeah. soon. Um, and we put out new content on social media every day. Yep. 
your Instagram is a such a great resource. If you guys are not following, you guys need to go follow it because I think it's honestly <laughs> probably one of my most favorite Instagrams to follow. Oh, oh thanks, thanks so much. It's yeah, really we have fun good. with it. We're for me, especially the comfort zone of making silly reels is really hard for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate doing that, but they're so fun, and you know, like, pe- like just finding people connecting. Yeah, connecting. Yeah. Like we did one of Courtney showing what cluster feeding is like, or just what regular feeding can be like. And, and so many people were like, Oh my God, this is my life right now. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, like you're just, we're bringing more people together. They're forming a community. That's a safe space. Yeah. And meeting people like you guys. Yeah. 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 We're so thankful to connect with you. Yeah. And we want to have you guys on our podcast too. Talk about Nikki's. Love that. Yeah. Oh yeah. We would love that. All right, ladies. Thank you so much for coming on. You guys were a blast. Thanks for having us. It was really fun. All right. Thank you so much, Courtney and Katie, for coming on the show, you guys. We hope that you guys got so much out of today's episode. I did. I know. I learned a ton. Hello. As always, you guys, follow us on our Insta. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. Make sure you click the link in our bio for all of our selfie merch links and savings just for you guys. Head over to our website. That's www.selfiepodcast.com. Check out all of our episodes. And of course... Download, subscribe, rate, rate and, and review. <laughs> and honestly, even if you just go click the five stars, yes, we love that Please. for you and we love that for us. Lo- and, um, you know, while you're at it, just grab your mom's phone, click those five stars for us, you know, your dad's phone, whoever, your I mean, boyfriend. If you want a second swag bag, <laughs> this is off the clock. But if you want a second swag bag with some of the newer items, mm. like the new Love a Day Off stickers or Dude. the new lips pins, and you leave a review from your significant other's phone, yeah. your sibling's or your mom, phone, or your and aunt. you screenshot it and send us send a DM. Happily. Happily. We'll Just you- saying. Yeah. We got the love a day off stickers. We got our selfies, little pins, you guys. We have so many cute things just for you. And more ideas brewing. Yeah. So oh, yeah. we got we're always trying to stuff. level up. Here we go. And make sure you are following us on our instas. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Hey Samantha with two A's. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Love you guys. Love you.